Well, good morning again, church. Good morning, online church. Glad you're tuning in. Um, we're making our way backwards from the from the New Testament. We've studied Revelation, Jude, Third John. Now we're going to be in the book of Second John. Like I said last week, we're learning God's Word backwards and forwards. And so um, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. And these guys will get one right to your seat. Turn to the book of Second John this morning. We read Second John, starting in verse 1. John writes, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh, This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds." Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. The title of my study this morning is Love and Truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. Lord, it is as relevant today as it was written some 2,000 years ago, even more so it seems, Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here and for teaching us and instructing us. And what we need to hear individually, Lord, as each person here in this room, but also as a church corporately. Father, finally, we do pray if there's anyone that has joined us that is uh, maybe watching online or here in this room that does not have a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, or not born again, they're not saved today. Lord, would you especially speak to their hearts. Bless our time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Read of a woman's red station wagon that was crushed by an elephant at a circus. The owners of the animal apologized, explaining that this animal, for some reason, likes red cars and likes to sit on them. Well, in spite of the damage to the car, the car was still drivable. But on the way to the garage, a woman stopped short by an accident involving two other cars just ahead of her. Well, when the ambulance arrived a few minutes later, the attendants took one look at her car, then ran over to assist her. Oh, I wasn't involved in the accident, she explained. An elephant sat on my car. The ambulance attendants quickly bundled her off to the hospital for possible shock and head injuries. (laughs) Truth. In this day and age, 
it's really difficult to determine what is truth, especially when it comes to, and I shared this last week, COVID, the validity of the poke. And I mentioned we call it the poke because I heard if we're online and we mentioned the actual word, which is a chemical injection used in humans to prevent diseases, if we use that word for that definition, uh, we can be uh, blocked. And, and we've had times where, where it's been blocked. So I'm real careful about that. But, but I think about all the mixed messages that we are getting and receiving today, not only in this whole pandemic thing, but, but, but the ones regarding the poke, the jab. I found a humorous illustration of this that, that I'll try to shorten for time's sake. It's a conversation between a person asking questions about the poke and the CDC. And it goes like this. Should I get the poke if I already had COVID? CDC. Yes, you should be poked regardless of whether you already had COVID-19. That's because experts do not yet know how long you're protected from getting sick after recovering from COVID-19. Okay, so we don't know how long natural immunity lasts. Got it. How long does poke immunity last? Well, they're still searching and trying to discover about COVID-19 and, and reviewing the evidence and updating guidance. We don't know long, how long protection lasts for those who are poked. Okay, but wait a second. I thought you said the reason I need the poke was because we don't know also how long natural immunity lasts, but it seems like you're saying we also don't know how long, how long poke immunity lasts. So how exactly is the poke immunity better than my natural immunity? Just get the poke, will you? It goes on. Okay, well, if I get the poke, if I get it, does that mean I won't get sick? No, we are just now entering a seasonal spike and about half of our infections and hospital admissions are poke people. But if I'm healthy and I don't want the poke, is there any reason I should get it? Yes, for the collective. Well, how does this collective benefit from me getting poked? Because you could spread the virus to someone who else might get sick and die. Can a poked person spread the virus to someone else? Yes. So if I get poked, I could still spread the virus to someone else? Yes. But I thought you just said the reason I should get poked was to prevent me from spreading the virus. How does it make sense if I can still catch COVID and spread it after getting poked? CDC, just wear the mask. The mask? Didn't Fauci's email say masks were useless? Why do vaccinated people have to wear the mask? Oh, I said the word. Uh-oh. Someone come get this guy. He's a threat to national security. <laughs> now, I would say that is funny coming from the side of anti-poke people. I would say that could be offensive coming from the side of pro-poke people. And I want to say this. People on both sides firmly believe what they have been told, what they have taken in, the information they have. And for the most part, I do not believe those that are for the poke really do believe that it's something, that, I think they really do believe that it's something that can help. And these people, they're not bad people. They're kind people. Some of them are born-again believers. But in the same way, I do believe those that are against the poke really do believe that it's dangerous and they, they, should not have, they should have the right to decide what's best for their own body. And there's good people who feel both ways about it. The problem is, because the information seems to have changed so often, that it's really difficult to determine what is true and what is false. To navigate in our culture today. And as a result, people have been tearing down one another, even among brothers and sisters in the Lord, and it just shouldn't be. 1 Corinthians 4.2 does say, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. 
Let me say that does include our bodies. As Christians, we should be mindful of what we do or don't put into our bodies and how we should care for our bodies. But that's an individual choice as to what is the best thing for us individually. And I'll say this again this week. The threatening of losing your job if you don't take the poke and all the slander and hatred coming against those who refuse the poke is just plain evil. But again, the problem is determining real truth and then people being open to, to hear the real truth. It seems that any uh, opposite opinion or facts that are disregarded before even given the chance to verify. Certainly we see that on social media. Any reference to the poke and your post is either pulled or tagged as fake. Not only that, we, we live in a day where people today have literally created their own truth according to what they want to hear. We know this. Our news agencies no longer report the truth, but they twist the truth in order to promote their own political agenda. You can't trust anymore what you hear on the news. By the way, a sign of the end times is that people will be turning from the truth. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I would say that day has come. And this is not just in our culture, but it's even in some of the churches where there are more people that are looking for teachers that are going to tell them what they want to hear. And actually this phrase, heap themselves Teachers or wanted teachers means people, they'll have an itch for novelty. They'll want someone to come along to say something that will soothe them, that will pacify them, but, but not something that will challenge them and certainly uh, not something that will confront them. But thankfully, when it comes to the truth, we have the ultimate truth. It's black and white. It's perfectly clear. It is the Word of God. In fact, Jesus prayed to his Father in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Yet even today, there are those who try to twist the truth. And thus the reason for John's letter here in 2 John. This little short epistle, 13 verses written by John, same John who wrote Revelation, same John who wrote the Gospel of John, 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, uh, but a, a, an interesting thing, this is the only uh, book in the Bible written to a woman and her kids. See, back in those days, they didn't have the New Testament to go off. It wasn't available. And so the leaders of the churches, they were dependent upon certain men to come in from place to place and preach the truth. Evidently, some of these men had come to the home of this woman that John is writing to, probably the city of Ephesus, and they had raised certain doctrinal matters that really upset her, really shook her, teachings that went against what she had been taught, what she had learned. And so now, not quite knowing what to do, she writes to the Apostle John and asks him for some counsel. Do I let these guys come in my house? Do I continue to feed them and provide for them and support them, even though what they're saying, I don't think I can agree with, I think it's false. Help, John sa- uh, help she says to John. And so this letter is his response to her question. And John begins by complimenting her and expressing his love for this woman and her kids. If you're taking notes, we're going to see three points. Number one, truth and love. Number two, caution and conduct. And number three, conclusion. Number one, truth and love. John writes this in verses one through three. 
the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. See, John is setting the stage to answer this woman's problem. And two things in those these first few verses really jump out at us. Two things that must be taken into consideration if you're going to deal with the problems that this woman was, was facing, and it's truth and love. We see it over again, truth and love. Notice how John links truth and love together. He says, I have great love for you founded in the truth. In other words, our relationship, our fellowship and love that we have for each other is based upon our relationship with Jesus Christ and the truth found in God's Word. I find it interesting that that John is known as the Apostle of Love, but he's emphasized truth more than any other writer. In fact, he used the word truth 20 times in his Gospel, 9 times in 1 John, 5 times in his opening verses of 2 John, and 5 more times in 3 John. The, The point is, truth and love ought to be the characteristic of every Christian today. Paul the Apostle tells us in Ephesians 4.15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. The word there for speaking there is professing, professing the truth in love. More literal translation of that phrase would be truthing in love. Truth, God, Christ, and love cannot be separated when it comes to Christianity. Truth means that it can be counted on as being reliable, Provable. This includes facts like 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's God's word, his character, how he sees the world that he designed. God's truth can be counted on. It's reliable. As we read, John 17, 17, God's word is truth. Jesus said himself, said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. But God also is love. First John 4, 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Truth and love go together. Now, when it comes to speaking the truth in love, our problem is many times we emphasize one over the other. We may emphasize truth and center upon doctrinal matters, insisting that the scriptures be followed very carefully, but at the expense of love. I think we can come across very cold and very judgmental. Sometimes we can come across even cruel in the way that we say things. Even though what we may be saying may be exactly right, because it is the Word of God, we may come across kind of wrong. On the other hand, there are those who make us make the mistake of emphasizing love at the expense of truth. Oh, you know, it really doesn't matter if it's true, as long as we just love one another. Both is wrong. See, the, the problem is trying to keep truth and love in proper balance. And yet, this is what we see so modeled so beautifully with our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he could deal in tenderness with with the depraved sinner, the outcast from society who came to him, but with a a blistering word he can make a Pharisee turn away in shame as all the rottenness of the man's inner life was revealed. He spoke in in perfect truth and and, and he dealt in love and he kept them in perfect balance. See, my my point is there there are a lot of people who read this letter, miss these opening words, and in so doing, they, they, they miss the balance there of truth and love throughout this letter. 
There's that, there's that old saying, you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, implying that being sweet or nice will someone, will someone will more likely give you the results you want than if you act mean and sarcastic or otherwise vinegary towards them. So I don't know why you want to catch flies in the first place. I, I don't know why they came up with that saying. But, but John is showing here that there, there needs to be that balance between truth and love. And he goes on, look at verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. Now, John is not saying it's great that some of your kids are walking in truth, but boy, some of your other kids, oh man, they need a lot of prayer. That's not what John's saying. That may be the case, but it's not what he's saying here. Evidently, somewhere along John's travels, he had the opportunity to meet some of these women's children, and he's saying what a joy it is to see that your kids are walking in the truth. They know the word of God and they're walking in the Lord in this truth. How refreshing that must have been for that mom to hear that. Especially in a day like today where so many kids are walking away from the truth, doing their own thing in this corrupt world. Here, John is saying, listen lady, your your kids, man, they have a great testimony. You know, one of the greatest testimonies to me is not the guy that stands up and says, well, I was a drug addict for 20 years, but God has changed me, or I was an atheist for 20 years, and, but God changed me. Those are, are wonderful testimonies. Don't get me wrong. Praise God. But to me, the, the greatest testimony is a person who started out as a kid, a Christian, and never turned away. To be able to hear a person say, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus when I was six, seven, eight years old, and, and I'm still walking with the Lord today. Praise the Lord. That's a wonderful testimony. I think hands down it beats the other ones. I think that's why our VBSs are so important to give these kids an opportunity to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But here John says, I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in the truth. That's awesome. What a testimony. So important to be that example for our children to help them walk in the truth. Now, even in the Old Testament, we have this, this clear example of love and truth together, especially when it comes to raising our kids, our children. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Truth and love. And I believe if you follow Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, your children have a much greater chance than of walking with the Lord their whole lives in truth and love. But the point here, John is just complimenting this woman on having a good testimony, her and her kids, that they, they not only speak what is true, but they're, they're living it as well. Their words match their talk. That's so important. Like the story I heard of Helen and George, a young married couple, were sitting on a porch swing. Helen asked, George, do you think my eyes are beautiful? He answered, uh-huh. In a few moments, she asked, George, do you think my hair is attractive? Again, he answered, uh-huh. A few minutes later, Helen asked, George, would you say that I have a nice figure? Once again, he said, "Uh uh-huh. Oh, George, she said, you say the nicest things. (laughs) It's so important for us to be true, but to also walk in the truth. Because there are those who will talk about the truth of Scripture, 
yet they're contradicted in the way in which they live. And John's going to address that. But first, John adds in verse 4, not only that he rejoiced greatly that I found some of your children walking in the truth, but then he says, as we receive commandment from the Father. In other words, this is a commandment to walk in truth and love. And he says the commandments are given by the Father. In other words, each commandment is an expression of the Father's love to us, not simply laying down the law. No, the law says do not murder. Why? Because murder's not good for you. <laughs> not good for you. Do not steal. Why? Because it makes conflict in your life. It's not good for you. Each one of the commandments is an expression of the Father's love to us, not simply laying down the law. He knows what's best for us. And then next, John pleads to this woman, verses 5 and 6. And now I plead with you, lady. I like that. It reminds me of a Princess Bride. Hey, lady. You know, anyway. I plead with you, lady. Not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is a commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. John is saying, this is important. Continue to walk in the commandments, especially the commandment to love one another. Thirteen times in the New Testament the phrase to love one another is used. Ten of those times are used by the Apostle John. John is saying to love one another. It's not a new commandment. Jesus gave it a new dimension when he said love one another as I have loved you. And when he said love your neighbor as yourself. I think one of the saddest things I'm seeing and hearing today of the Christian men and women saying the meanest things over the poke. Threats of separation, accusations, assaults on character. We can expect that in the world, but, but not, it shouldn't be among believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He didn't say, by this all men will know you are my disciples, if you had the poke. He didn't say, you know, you know my disciples, if you didn't have the poke. No, if you have love one for another. See, don't let your opinion with the should or should not when it comes to the poke change the love that you have for one another. Here John is saying to this lady and to us, we're to love God, we're to love His truth, and we're to walk in His commandments. To walk in His commandments is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And to love here in verse 6 in proper context is to love His commandments and to keep His commandments. But what a wonderful thing it is to, to love the Word of God because it is there where God reveals Himself to us. God is discovered in His Word. God speaks to us in His Word. God transforms us by His Word. Our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. See, if we're going to walk in truth, if we're going to walk in love, it begins by having that love for the Word of God. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, worshiping the Bible, Bruce briefly touched on it last week. Uh, we're, we're worshiping the God of the Bible and understanding that it is God's word to us. See, Jesus said in John fourteen twenty three, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he said, my commandments, they're not tough, they're not burdensome. You know, it's not, oh, I don't know if I can give up that, Lord, and obey is kind of tough, Really? It's not that hard to exchange a life of cred for an abundant life or eternal life. John is saying to this woman, it's great that your kids are walking in the truth, that they love the Word of God, and that they're keeping His commandments. But then he adds, I need to warn you. And this is the second point here, number two, caution and conduct. 
Now again, because the New Testament was not available to this woman back then, it was still being written. So when the men would come into town preaching, not everything they were teaching was true. So John gives this caution. Look at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. John is saying, listen, be careful. Be cautious. Because not everyone who says they're Christians are truly Christians. Now when we get to 1 John, we'll see that John is writing against a group known as the Gnostics and the false teachings of Gnosticism. The, the Gnostics believe that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. All flesh was evil, so it's impossible that Jesus Christ could come and walk in the flesh. And in fact, a man named Serinthus taught that when Jesus walked, he didn't leave footprints. So God is cautioning her to be aware of these men spreading their lies. He warns her that there, there are many deceivers around who do not have the correct doctrine of Christ. Now, we need to realize there is just really one way in which someone is a deceiver when it comes to fundamental Christianity. All Christian error and heresies focus on this one thing, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one true Redeemer and Savior. There is no other. He is God in the flesh come into this world to save mankind. If you deny the incarnation, then you are not a true believer in Jesus Christ. You do not have salvation. John says if a man does not believe in the incarnation, no matter what else he may say or how nice he may be, he is a deceiver. Now he may be deceived as well as a deceiver, but he is an antichrist. He is against who Jesus is, John says. And he's so concerned with this woman, he says in verse 8, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, that we may receive a full reward. He says, wake up. Look what's going on. Don't be deceived. Don't get pulled into the, the lies and the false teaching that the, the people are trying to deceive you. In other words, you've come so far in your relationship with the Lord. Don't turn away now. Don't, 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 don't receive the stuff from these guys. You're going to lose out. What are you going to lose as a Christian if you can get involved in heresies and liberalism that's so widespread today? Will you lose your salvation? Not if you're truly born again. Of course not. That rests upon the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. John's not talking about salvation. He's talking about reward. You're not going to lose your place in heaven nor your redemption nor your part in the body of Christ. But you do lose a great Deal, as John makes it clear in, in verse 8, he says, you lose your full reward. In other words, you'll waste your time involved in things not important, and in the end, you've wasted the reward that you might have received had you not gone down that path in the first place. I, I kind of look at it this way. It, it's those that argue continually over the non-essentials of Christianity. I mean, let's take, for example, even even some of the Calvinism. You can spend hours debating once saved, always saved. You know, total depravity, limited atonement, and not once share the love of Christ with your neighbor. Or the poke. You can spend hours debating once poked, always poked. Limited immunity. <laughs> I don't know what else. Total unpokeness, I don't know. And not once share the love of Christ. As one commentator puts it, you throw away precious moments and years involved in that which is utterly worthless and which will be displayed at last as wood, hay, and stubble to be consumed in the fire of God's searching gaze. 
get caught up in these things. You're not going to get your full reward. You're not going to receive all that God has for you. Or if you get involved in something that is grounded upon false teaching, all your efforts are wasted. You're not building nothing but a facade. It may look very good on the outside, but in the end it will crumble and find no acceptance before God. Well, how do you know if you're building a a facade or the real thing? Look at verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ is both the Father and the Son. Notice in just this one verse that word doctrine appears twice. That should be a clue. Doctrine is important. Every now and then you'll hear people say, well, doctrine doesn't really matter. We like to, 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 uh, you know, to go to a place where they don't talk about doctrine. You know, well, it's not important. We just want to find a place where we just love one another. Listen, you have no basis for love and fellowship outside of correct doctrine. And this goes right back to why people are deceived. They're deceived about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus was God in the flesh, come down onto this earth to redeem mankind. And there are many groups out there that deny that, like the Jehovah Witnesses. They have a problem with the idea that God came, uh, became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is our Savior, that He alone is God who can save us. He's the only one that can bridge the gap between a holy God and sinful man. When he died on the cross, he put his hand on the Father and his hand on sinful man and reconciled us to God. John is saying, you can argue all day long over things that don't really matter. But if you don't believe that, then, then you don't have God. You're not a true believer. You're not born again. See, John is saying to this lady, this is how you can know about these men coming into your home. What do they say about Jesus? And listen, when we have people knocking on our door, it's the same question we need to ask them. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because the Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who come knocking at your door, man, they got it pretty twisted of who Jesus is. Mormons believe Jesus is the first spirit child born to God, the Heavenly Father, with one of his many wives, and that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Jehovah Witnesses believe that that Jesus Christ is is not God in the flesh. In fact, they go door to door telling people Jesus is not God, but he's Michael the Archangel, created by God. So too, when John wrote this letter, Gnosticism has fully run its course. The Gnostics denied the deity of Jesus Christ. You know, Jehovah Witnesses is just modern day Gnosticism or ancient Gnosticism. But you see, again, my point is John makes it very clear. If you have a problem with the Incarnation, if you have a problem with the idea that, that, that God became flesh in Jesus Christ, then you do not have the right doctrine of Christ and you do not have God, period. You don't have the Father, you don't have the Son, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have God because you have a wrong view of who Jesus is. And if you don't have the Son, then you don't have the Father because the Father is revealed in the Son, the Father is known in the Son, and the Father is known through the Son. And you can't come to the Father except by the Son. And so John gives her this caution, and then he tells her how to conduct herself around these, these false teachers. Point B, her conduct. Look at verse 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for you greet some shares in his evil deeds. Now, there's a whole lot of misunderstanding about these verses. The question is often asked. Should we as true believers let Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses into our homes to talk to them about Jesus? I think it's important for us to understand the context of what's happening here. John is basically telling the select lady, don't. 
Don't let these Gnostics come into your house. Don't let them preach. Don't let them teach. Don't let them come into your house. Don't let them sleep or eat. Show them house. Nothing. Now, it's not necessarily forbidding Christians of today from inviting Jehovah Witnesses into their homes or, and witnessing to them. I don't think that's what John had in mind when he wrote those words. But I do believe that it's important that if you invite a Jehovah Witness into your home, or you invite a, a Mormon into your home, that you are grounded in the Word of God and knowledgeable of what they believe and what you believe, or else they'll try and twist you into a pretzel. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll completely confuse you and frustrate you, and it can be dangerous. And if you're a new believer, and, 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 and if you don't have enough knowledge, then invite another brother or sister to join you who has a grasp of the Scripture and how to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, and invite them back. Say, you know what, I'd love to talk to you about this. I don't have time, but, but I got a, a friend of mine would love to sit down and come back with you. And allow them to meet with you and invite them into your home so you can share with them. Listen, they knocked on your door. They came to your house, so they ought to listen to what you have to say. And there's nothing wrong with, with, with being polite to Jehovah's Witnesses. You don't need to fear them. Okay, it's not like this Star Wars thing, and they're going to use some power to suggest you to turn to the dark side. These are not the droids you are looking for. Jesus is not the God that you think he is. Oh, no. That's not going to happen. Remember, they're the ones that are lost. They're the ones that are blind. And God has given you the opportunity to let them see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Him. But understand, there is a spiritual battle taking place. And we need to be prayed up and we need to be walking in the Spirit. And, and we also need to show them that they are human beings for whom Christ died. You need to show them back to the love and the truth. You know, when you smile and you're nice and you say, oh, come on in, and you give them something to drink and you start telling them about Jesus, it freaks them out. <laughs> they get a little nervous. kind of sends them into a tizzy. They're just expecting to be yelled at. They're expecting to have the door slammed in their face. They don't know what to do when you're nice because they expect that persecution. They expect to be ridiculed, and they feel that, you know, they're truly doing the work of God if they were persecuted. Oh, they yelled at me. They slammed the door at me. I was persecuted. And if they can get you mad and screaming at them like that, then they can go back and, and put a check mark and say, yeah, I was persecuted. And they think they get some little brownie points. So be nice to them. Yeah, I think if every, if every time they knocked on the door of a Christian, we were nice and polite and kind and considerate with them and shared the gospel with them and, and was ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us, I believe we'd see more and more Jehovah's Witnesses coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and as God. Instead of, oh yeah, I know about you, you cult, slam the door on them. Get away. That's not the way to go. I've always loved the story about the two Jehovah Witnesses going door to door and they knocked on the door of a Christian woman who was not happy to see them. She told them in no uncertain terms that she did not want to hear their message and slam the door in their faces. To her surprise, however, the door did not close and in fact bounced back open. She tried again, really put her back into it and slammed the door again with the same result. The door bounced right back open. Convinced these rude people were sticking their foot in the door, she reared back to give it a slam that would teach them a lesson. When one of them said, Ma'am, before you do that again, you need to move your cat. So, so what is John saying in verse 10 and 11? I don't believe he's saying you can't have them in your house. But what it would be saying more technically is that you shouldn't give them money, you shouldn't support them, 
You shouldn't try to help them out in what they're doing, like passing out their tracts. You shouldn't allow them to put their pamphlets out in front of your business. You shouldn't try to give them phone numbers to call your friends. Maybe your enemies, but not your friends. No, you don't do that. You're not supposed to do that kind of thing. In other words, we are not to receive these people in such a way as to imply that we are authenticating or accepting their teaching. But again, in those days, you know, the, the motels didn't exist and the inns were very few and far between. So when teachers traveled, they stayed in private homes. And so this woman was confused. Should I open up my home to these guys or not? John says, don't do it. Don't receive them into your house, nor greet them for you. Greet them shares in his evil deeds. Now, that doesn't rule out the need for common courtesy or for gracious approach to a person or for the meeting of emergency needs. I mean, we have the parable of the Good Samaritan that's very clear. If someone's in need, we need to do something about it. As long as we're treating, uh, making clear that we're treating him graciously, thoughtfully, kindly as a fellow human being, but definitely not endorsing the wrong ideas, then it's perfectly okay to have some kind of contact with them, even a degree of friendship. But we're not to share in their wicked works. That's the idea that John has said before us. So John says, don't support them, don't help them, because it could mean that they would make inroads into the church and your life. Finally, our last point, the conclusion, look at verses 13 and 14. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Again, difficult to write letters back in those days. Mel was uncertain. I suppose the Apostle John, like most of us, find it difficult to sit down and, and write letters. John would say, man, I, I just, I mean, I, I'd just love to see you face to face. I have so much more I'd love to sit down and talk to you about. You know, I, I just want to write this short little note of encouragement and caution you love and truth. Love and truth. That's what it's about. And he concludes by sending a greeting from the family he's apparently staying with. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. See, John hoped to visit soon. But just that special joy when we gather together face to face. It's just Christian fellowship. John over and over again, as we'll see in First John, was so concerned about our joy that our joy may be full. Well, how's our joy full? I mean, it's walking in Christ, but it's having that fellowship one another. And that's why John says, I hope to come to see you, speak to you face to face that our joy may be full. And let me say this, that's why it's so important that churches stay open. I tell you, unless, you know, a snowstorm prevents us from coming in, I'm not shutting these doors ever again. We're going to stay open. No more flattening any curve. You know, the book of Hebrews, we're told, New Living Translation, 10, 24, and 25. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. I think that verse really describes what we just looked about. If there ever was a, a, a time when believers needed to come together, it is now. And instead of chopping each other down, we need to draw together in love around the person of Jesus Christ. Study the word of God together. No truth from error. You know, God has something for a group that He will not give to any one individual. But I also admit that the reason I like to teach the word of God is it's selfish. Because I crone the knowledge of God's word when I study to share it. But you see, the only thing that can bring comfort in troubling times in which we live is the Word of God, and it's a fellowship that we can spend one another sharing the Word of God with each other. I don't know about you, 
I don't know if you feel as I do, but as I watch the news, it seems as, as though the world is just coming apart at, at its seams. There, there seems to be no end to the bad news. The true church of Jesus Christ and anyone or any group who bears his name, it, we're under attack. In our own country as well, there's great opposition to the church of Jesus Christ. We see this through the media, through the entertainment industry, government, politics. Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew 24 when they asked him about the signs of the end of the age. He said there'd be wars, there'd be rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, pestilence. He says they, they, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. As I read that verse, I can't help but wonder if we are in the last hours before Lord Jesus Christ returns to rescue his church and God pours out his wrath on this world for the rejection of his son. I don't know if we have hours, days, months, years. But as Christians, God has called us to take the truth of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Our job is to warn sinners of the consequences of sin and show them that God is loving and gracious and willing to forgive if we come to him in repentance and faith. We have to accept God's provision for our sins, the shedding of Christ's blood upon the cross. God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So as we close, John answers the lady's question by basically saying, Jesus is the answer. Even if many people don't know what the question is, Jesus is the answer. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. He embodies all that is true and all that is right. And no man or woman can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ today, I encourage you. I plead with you as John pleaded. Come to Jesus Christ today. If you're watching online, you don't know Christ, give your life to Jesus Christ. He alone has the power to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed and to give you new life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Lord, it's by your word and by your Holy Spirit that causes us to, to be changed and be conformed more into your image and into your likeness. And Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, help us to be lovers of your word. Lord, give us an even greater hunger for your word in the times in which we're living in. As we see so much deception and so much uh, confusion, Lord, we thank you that your word is truth. And we can come back to it over and over and over again and rest in, in, the, in the fact that, that your word is true. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, touch their heart, Lord. Speak to them. Lord, help them to see their need for you and that they return to you today and invite you to be their Lord and their Savior. Thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.